0: God, He reigns from heaven above with some power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God, God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with some power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Ooh. Go, Jesus! (laughs) And then later, go, Cowboys. Okay, open your Bibles. (laughs) Everybody say word. We're going to be in uh, Matthew, Acts. Maybe we should be in Matthew. No, uh, Acts. We're in a verse-by-verse study uh, of the book of Acts, and we are now in chapter 5. Find your way to verse 17 in the eternal text of Scripture. Chapter 5, verse 17. A phrase that I hope you leave with today is a simple phrase. It is one you've probably used before. If not used it, have heard it before. It is the phrase, going for broke. Going for broke. It is a phrase that means to risk everything, to lay it all on the line. It has a very interesting history, in fact. It is a a loose translation of Hawaiian pigeon. Uh, Hawaiian pigeon, the phrase means... Not a Hawaiian pigeon, not like a bird, but a Hawaiian pigeon. The, the, the yeah. dialect. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was a joke. It really is. It's Hawaiian pigeon means to wager everything. It was awesome. Uh, to wager and it was the motto of a very unlikely group of World War II soldiers. Quickly following the bombing of Pearl Harbor, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, the tensions in the United States raised to boiling point, specifically as it related to Americans of Japanese descent, and it ushered in one of our country's least proudest moments, where over 100,000 Americans of Japanese descent were uh, incarcerated uh, in the United States, which, looking back, had far more to do with racism than any actual national security. The majority of the incarcerations, though, took place on the mainland of of the United States, but in Hawaii where the, the bombings had taken place at Pearl Harbor, uh, there was a large chunk of the population made up of those of Japanese descent. Incarceration was impossible, but I want to tell you, they, their life was no, less, uh, more enjoy, was no more enjoyable or easier. A little over a year after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt signed into law Executive Order 9066, which provided opportunity for Americans of Japanese descent to join the ranks of the United States military, as long as they could answer in the affirmative two specific questions. I mean, there was a long list of questions, but two specifically were a priority. If they could not answer in the affirmative, they would not be sent off into war. But if they could answer in the affirmative, they could be enlisted. And here, here are the two questions. I've given you kind of an abridgment. First, are you willing to serve wherever ordered? Are you willing to undertake your orders? And then secondly... Will you swear unqualified allegiance to the United States of America and faithfully defend the United States and reject any form of allegiance or obedience to any other foreign government? And it was specific to the emperor of Japan, but also to any foreign government, power, or organization. Well, in 1943, there were 4,000 men who were able to immediately answer in the affirmative, and they became the 442nd Infantry Regiment. Over the course of the war, over 14,000 men uh, Japanese men, uh, Americans, served among the 442. And it's based upon its size and how valiantly they fought, they became the most decorated unit in all of the history of American warfare. Out of the 14,000 men who served among the 442, 9,486 received the prestigious Purple Heart Award. And among them, 21 received even the far more prestigious, the honor. Uh, of the Medal of Honor uh, for their valiancy in warfare. They proved to be some of the most valiant and trustworthy soldiers in the war, many willing to lay down their lives, a group of men who by their own testimony and by their own anthem were willing to go for broke. That was their their handle, that was their call. And as I think about those men who were willing to go for broke, it, it really is a great way to describe the atmosphere and the heart and the the attitude of the apostles and the early church. They were willing to go for broke. They were willing to go wherever Jesus sent them. They were willing to undertake anything that they were commanded to do. They had sworn their allegiance to Christ and they rejected all previously held alliances. They were willing at any moment to pay the ultimate price, including up to laying down their own life. And as we saw last week, all of the apostles were placed in prison for preaching the name of Jesus, because they had been ordered by the religious high court to no longer even speak of the name Jesus, but they continued to preach and teach in his name, and the teaching was spreading. And it was not only filling Jerusalem, it was, it was breaking, breaking past the walls of Jerusalem on into all of Judea and really was threatening to reach the world, which was the point. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest rose up in view of not only the the preaching but also the miraculous that was taking place and all who were with him, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with what? What were they filled with? Jealousy, okay? They were losing power, they were losing prestige, and they were losing people, and they wanted to get a handle on this thing before in their eyes it got too out of control. So they arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. So in pretty rapid order, the, the apostles are gaining influence. It's only a few short months after the crucifixion and re- resurrection of Christ and the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This movement is spreading. And these religious elite are trying to stop the spread of it, so they put them in prison and they schedule another court appearance, not just for two of the apostles, but now for all of the apostles, thinking that if they can at least keep the apostles in prison, the message will keep from spreading. But, verse 19, jailbreak. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. This is the first of three prison breaks that we read about in the scriptures. So through angelic intervention, the disciples or the apostles are now released from prison, and it's fascinating where they're sent. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Family, what are their orders? To go, where? Literally back to the place where they were just arrested. I want you to just chew on how much courage that takes. Go back to the place where you were just arrested and keep preaching the words of this life. And when they heard this, that word heard, meaning they listened with the intention of actually obeying, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. There's no mention of them questioning or pushing back. There's no, no picture of them hesitating. They received their orders and they went back to where they were commanded to go and they undertook their mission and began preaching Jesus at daybreak. They headed back into the battle with incredible courage. The new Illustrated Bible commentary fleshes out a little bit more for us some of the, the, what it would have taken to do this, this courage. The fact that these disciples would return returned to the place of their arrest was an open testimony. Think about this. To the Jewish leaders and the general public that these men were willing to die for the truth that they were proclaiming. They were going for broke. They had already considered the cost. To them, adversity was just a part of it. See, when you're going for broke, you just assume there's going to be adversity. Okay? That's, That's all wrapped up in that concept of going for broke. There's going to be adversity, but you've already considered that and you're willing to face it and even give your life. Verse 21 end of verse 21 it says now when the high priest came and those who were with him so that is the next day they called together the council and all the senate of the people of israel and sent to the prison to have them brought and so the entire jewish high court is gathered and then they send the security team to go get the apostles but what's the joke come on as the reader we're in on the joke where are the apostles right now they're not in the prison they're in the temple doing the one thing that the religious elite was trying to keep them from doing They're in the temple preaching. As the reader, we already get to see that. We already get to see the egg yolk on their face. Verse 22, it says, But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. Okay, guys, this is odd. Verse 23, We found the prison securely locked and guards standing at the door, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. They look like fools, don't they? Thinking themselves to be powerful, how absolutely powerless they are. You know, these moments, I wish I could just have like a YouTube video, like go in and Sanhedrin, hear the news that there's no apostles. I'd love to see them just go. Maybe they thought to themselves, okay, good. They escaped from prison, which is bad, but maybe they've left. Maybe they have fled. And maybe this movement will stop all that in their minds until verse 24 It says, now when the captain of the temple, the chief of the priests, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what would this come to. And then verse 25, in the middle of them, thinking and perplexing, uh, someone comes running in and goes, hey, look! That's the moment I want the YouTube video, you know? I would love to see their faces. Look! The men whom you put in prison are in the temple teaching the people. The men you put in prison are preaching. Just out of curiosity, what do you think the reaction would have been at that moment? Oh, okay, that sounds good. Awesome. I mean, what would your reaction be if in your own power you took control of something and you, you you tried to make a situation work out the way you wanted it to and it totally blew up in your face? What's your typical response to that? Are you happy? Are you overjoyed? No, you're you're upset, you're angry because you've just discovered you're not in control. Verse 26. The security team is sent again. This time, not to the prison, now to the temple. <laughs> then the captain with the officers went and brought them listen to that little statement, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. <laughs> they literally walked up to the apostles and were like, Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, um, you missed your appointment this morning, but it's okay. Worry about it, we're not upset. But could you please come with us? What we don't realize is that the apostles were heroes. They were heroes in the eyes of the local folks. Dr. Constable writes this, the apostles were so popular that the captain and his temple police had to be very careful not to create the impression that they were going to harm the apostles as the apostles had become local Heroes. That must have been a scene, you know, the the police asking them kindly to join them. And what I find fascinating is there's not a point where the apostles like stop or reject or somehow like call out a riot or bring about some form of civil disobedience. They just go. You know, I think in their minds, they saw it just as another opportunity to preach the gospel. And it could have potentially been their last moment on earth. They were aware that if they followed the temple guard and went before the Sanhedrin, although under Rome they really didn't have the authority to put somebody to death, they still could do it, as we'll see in chapter 7. But they cared more about the message and more about their orders than they did their own personal ego, their own personal agenda, their own life. Verse 27, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. Rapid succession, three statements. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay, we commanded you not to teach in his name. He can't even say the name Jesus. But you won't stop talking about him. You just keep filling Jerusalem and I can imagine the apostles are like, oh, we're not stopping here, man. Oh no, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth. We're going worldwide with this thing. And then, then they say, this cra- he says this crazy statement, you intend to bring his blood upon us. Isn't that bananas? A few months prior, they were the religious council that had sentenced Jesus to death. They had cried out for his blood when Pilate, the Roman governor, had said, I find no guilt with this man, they cried out all the more, His blood be upon us and our children. A few months later, they've got like selective amnesia. They're like, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. They are. I mean, of course, it's according to the sovereign will of God that Christ was put to death, but they are the human instruments that were used to bring about the death of Christ. And now all of a sudden, they're trying to act like they had no responsibility in the deal. It's like when you do something really wrong, and then a few months pass, and you're like, I didn't really do that. I wasn't really that bad. I, why are you trying to make it sound like I've done something wrong? And, and Peter now is given an opportunity for the second time to boldly preach the gospel to the Sanhedrin and what I love about this is Peter, ah, I love Peter, because as, as you see Peter grow in his discipleship, he starts off as, as kind of a guy who says a lot of things. Like first thought comes into his mind. He says it, and he's getting in trouble a lot, and he, he says some goofy things. He denies Jesus, but you know what? Every time you see a list of the apostles or, or the disciples in the gospels, Peter's listed first, and Every time in the early chapters of Acts there is a a sermon preached or there is something that is being proclaimed, typically it's in the mouth of Peter. And what I love about that is Peter is a profound failure. He is the the denier of Passover, but then he's the preacher of Pentecost. And you know what that tells me? God can take profound failures and do profound things through them. If they're willing to be restored, as we see in, in John chapter 21. But Peter and the apostles answered, I love this, we must obey God rather than men you see what they understood and what we need to understand is that Jesus is the highest of authority okay he is the highest authority and when somebody of the highest authority gives you an order somebody of lesser authority cannot change those orders but you know, think about that for a second when somebody of the highest authority gives you an order nobody of a lesser authority can change those orders And the response is simple. We must obey God rather than men. There is no higher authority than Jesus. There really is no one, and I mean no one, who should have greater say or sway over our life. Not elected officials, not state or national law, not even the Supreme Court. Did you know as, as, as Christians, our ultimate authority, our supreme authority is Christ? So the supreme authority of this land, the supreme court may set law for the land, but you know what? Our supreme authority has rule over the universe. He is the supreme. If Christ has commanded us to be his witnesses, no matter if somebody comes back behind and says, no, you can't be his witnesses, we must obey Christ. And that is exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying, look, we're just being obedient to our orders. And it shows us that at times following Christ will mean that we cannot set or submit to the rules that are set by men. If it becomes a rule or a law that we cannot share the gospel, family, we can't submit to that. We have a higher authority who's given us our orders. And as icing on the cake. I love this. Peter then preaches the gospel again to this this threatening group of high-ranking officials. He goes, okay, verse 30. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. He goes, "Uh oh, you think you're (laughs) you're trying to wash your hands with this whole thing. You killed him. Just so there's, there's no confusion here, Peter's like, oh yeah, you did. And what I love about this, why, why Peter is, is he's standing there teaching these men. He is revealing to them how unbelievably wrong they are. See, something we don't realize about the Sadducees is they strongly, strongly held a, a belief that there was no such thing as resurrection from the dead. That was a part of their core doctrine. And they denied anything of the Miraculous. And the, Peter is now telling them, giving them the truth, and it goes completely against their deeply held doctrine and belief. And I'll tell you, you'll find no stronger reaction than when the truth comes against somebody's deeply held doctrine or deeply held belief. They're wrong. They had killed their Messiah. God raised him from the dead. And not only had God raised him from the dead, oh, no, no, it doesn't stop there. He not only rose from the dead, he has ascended. And not only has he ascended, he has been Exalted. He is the supreme authority. I want you to see this. Uh, Verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, as magistrate over this movement, as savior of the world, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, in fact, every single year in the land of Israel, there was what was called the day of atonement. And every single year, there had to be this slaughtering and the shedding of blood for this concept of atonement. And every year it would have to happen over and over and over again. And it wasn't complete because it had to happen the next year. But through Christ, through the ultimate, sacrifice once and for all the sacrifice had been laid down his death had propitiated or had paid for our sin he is the sacrifice the supreme sacrifice and not only has he been humbled to the point of death on the cross and be buried in a grave he has now been exalted to the highest place of ultimate authority you need to imagine these guys they are getting the truth you are getting the truth And he goes on to say, we're not just giving you hearsay. No, we're absolutely eyewitnesses. Look at that. We are witnesses to these things. And and they're witnesses in two ways. First, they're witnesses in the sense that they're eyewitnesses. They literally were with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They witnessed his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. They witnessed him. They had breakfast with him after he had risen from the dead. They had touched his hands. They had heard his teachings. They saw him ascend into heaven. And ultimately, we will see in chapter 7, his, his exaltation, he'll be at the right hand of God. They are witnesses. But secondly, they are witnesses in the sense of that they are now communicating that. They're communicating all that they have taught. They're communicating all that they have seen. So they're witnesses in two ways. And you know what, family? We're to be witnesses in that, those two ways. We are to witness the teaching, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation of Christ in and through the scriptures. And then we are to be witnesses in the second sense, communicate it to the world. And it's not only the apostles and not only us who are witnesses, but so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That is, those who receive Christ, turn from unbelief to belief. Those who are forgiven of sin receive the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are his. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, you are not his. That witness that testifies. You see, family, Jesus Christ did die on the cross for our sins, he was buried. He has risen. He has been exalted. And you know what? He did it because, why would God do that? Because he loves you. And I think some of you are sitting here right now and go, well, if God loves me, he should love me and accept me even if I reject him. And I'm like, that sounds so stupid. That is the dumbest line of thinking. Here's why. Imagine yourself, you're in the middle of the ocean. You're drowning to death. And the only way to be saved is somebody throws you a life preserver. And you go, oh yeah, it's just absolute truth. i got to take this life preserver. And the guy's like, dude, take the preserver or you're going to die. Well, I just don't... believe. <laughs> when we realize just how dire our situation is as humanity, all stupid arguments get burned away. And they are dumb. He's the savior of the world. And, and what's crazy to me is the hardest substance on earth is not diamond, it's the human heart. Because these guys are like preaching the truth, and it's just not penetrating the human heart of the Sanhedrin. And it's probably not penetrating the hearts of some of us in here right now. And when what happens when, it, when truth hits the human heart that's hardened, there's not repentance. There's rejection and then really at times just rage, anger. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to do what? They wanted to treat them to the same treatment they treated Jesus. We deny your teaching. We now want to kill you. And if there was no intervention at this moment, they would be put to death. They'd be dragged outside and stoned to death. But you know what? There was an intervention. Just as the angelic intervention we see in the prison, there is now an intervention of a guy by the name of Gamaliel. We don't know. Maybe you know of Gamaliel. Most of us don't. Gamaliel was one of the most high-respected teachers in Israel. So respected, in fact, that just him standing up would have brought silence He reminds me of a guy like, uh, if you don't know him, Tad He He's always in our first service. He's been at Firewheel um, forever. And he is faithful. And he is godly. He could walk into this service at any time. And you know what? I would step off this platform and let him speak. He's that respected here. Gamaliel was high and respected and he was also the teacher of a young protege by the name of Solus Paulus who we're going to meet in a few chapters and he is he's going to stand up and he is going to recommend something to this this group of of high-ranking officials and he's going to take kind of like a laissez-faire approach and saying hey let's just kind of let this thing play out and it's it's actually pretty profound wisdom and and it's it's pretty good advice I, I I'm not going to infuse it any greater by saying it's it's This is Holy Spirit-filled speaking, but I do think it's good advice. Look at verse 34. It says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all of the people. We actually have extra biblical material of people talking about this guy. Jewish writings of Gamaliel, called the high-respected Rabban, the high-respected teacher. Another way of saying he's the dude. He stood up. He gave orders to put the, the man outside for a little while. I love that. He stands up, and he gives orders. He ain't the high priest. Verse 35, he said, men of Israel, listen, take care what you're about to do with these men, verse 36, for before these days, and then he goes on to describe two different uprisings. I'm not going to go into great detail with them. Basically what they are, they were men who created an uprising and it seemed unstoppable and then those men were put to death and all of a sudden this uprising ceased. And what his recommendation is going to be is like, hey, leave this thing alone. Let it play out because their leader guy is dead, he does, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for different reasons, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they do not believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And they're like, dude, he's dead. It's going to stop. And then he says two profound things. He says, look, if this is of man, we don't have to worry about it. But it's of God. If it's of God, <laughs> we won't be able to stand against it. I love that. Verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. There's no, there's no record or there's no belief that Gamaliel ever gave his life, but that's pretty profound because obviously God is fighting on their behalf. They put him in prison. Angel busted him out. There's, there's miracles being performed. I mean, it's very, very clear that God is working on their behalf and you know what I find fascinating is the, the council agrees with Gamaliel. They're like, oh, that's good advice. We're still going to beat them. Look at, verse, look at verse 40. They call the apostles in. They beat them and then charge them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So like there's some level of like laissez-faire. They're like, oh, we'll let things just happen as they will. But let's first give them 40 lashes minus one and then command them not to preach in the name of Jesus, I find this uh, pretty extreme punishment. But you know the words, we must obey God rather than men, are still hanging in the air. So the question is, how are they going to respond now as apostles, now that they've just been beaten? They've been in prison. Well, they've been criticized and ridiculed, then prisoned, now beaten, humiliated, dishonored. So the question is, how will they respond? Here's something that we need to realize. They were not confused like we are. They had no thought in their minds that somehow following Jesus was going to be easy. Mm -mm. They didn't think that following Jesus was going to be comfortable or profitable. Matthew chapter 5, very quickly. Turn to the left in your Bible. Matthew 5, verses 10 and 11. Jesus talks about the blessings of the Christian life. Of course, we read these and we're like, oh, that is a blessing. No, said no one ever, 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 ever. These are these paradoxical statements that just don't make sense to us. Because we're like, how is that a blessing? Well, Jesus speaking to his disciples early in his ministry said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, through their allegiance to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of earth will reject them. But they know that the kingdom of heaven is greater. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. That's what you're going to say, right? When you're getting beaten. Oh, praise God. Maybe we should. Look back in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Because then it says, then they left the presence of the council doing what? Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Rejoicing. Jesus said rejoice when they revile and persecute you. They're rejoicing. They're being obedient. They're like, wow, we were considered worthy to suffer. Do you know what's an honor? To suffer for the name of Christ. It's the paradox where dishonor becomes honor and disgrace becomes grace. It is a privilege and it is an honor to suffer and to to sacrifice and even be sacrificed for Christ in like some small way to drink of the cup that he drank from. And the minds of the ancients was always seen as an honor and the mind of the contemporary North American Christian had seen as such dishonor. How many of us want to be found worthy of suffering? Wow. I shouldn't raise my hand because honestly, I don't want to suffer. I want to be found worthy of being comfortable. <laughs> Like the lazy boy Christianity. Where's the remote? That's the kind of Christianity that sounds good to me. My flesh. What do you think they did after that? You think they kept preaching? We've already, we've already gone great lengths to saying they're going for broke. Adversity is already a part of the deal. Verse 42. They didn't stop. They wouldn't stop. Every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah. Day in, day out. It was like they left the council. They're like, that was fun. Let's keep going. And if you're not noticing this in the book of Acts, there is a progression of aggression. It's building. It started with criticism, jail, command, jail, beatings in command. As you can see, it's very quickly progressing. We're, we're just on the doorstep of seeing the first martyr, which I find is interesting. The word witness, you know how they say, that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That word witness, it's martyreo. It's where we get the English word martyr. You see, the early church was so serious about following Jesus' commands as being a witness that their name became synonymous with suffering. We're going to see suffering. And we may actually experience it in this life. So here's a few applications for us. First, going for broke. By the way, you all have done so, so good. I've talked for a long time this morning, but you all have done fabulous. Give yourself a gold star. Going for broke. Family, these apostles were willing to be criticized, thrown in prison, whipped, and even put to death. And history tells us that they were even would go so far as giving up their life for Jesus. They considered the cost, and it was worth it. They chose to invest in everything to follow him. And so I want to, ch- I want to challenge you with this, family. You've got to go for broke for something in this life. There's got to be something in your life that you finally decide, look, I'm going for broke. And I pray you, you consider not just not executive order 9066. I pray you, you, you consider executive order 316. I know, I made it all biblical, right? You like that, John 316, executive order? Here's another way of looking at that. Are you willing to serve Jesus wherever he orders? Are you willing to go wherever he says to go and undertake whatever he says to do? That's what going for broke means. And then secondly, will you swear unqualified allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom and faithfully serve him and reject any form of allegiance or obedience to any lesser foreign government power or organization? That statement right there would get you killed in North Korea right now. There are places in the world right now, if that was up on the board and and authorities came in, they would literally have the right to kill us all right now. That's how radical this is. Are you willing to go for broke? I believe God is scanning earth, looking for a group of people who are saying, I'm willing to go for broke. pretty heavy. Secondly, rejoicing. There's nothing about getting beat with a whip that makes me want to rejoice. But these, rejo- these apostles rejoiced because they saw it as an honor to suffer for Jesus. That's almost too hard for us to read. And, and I want to I wanna argue why. I believe that we're under the false teaching and the false doctrine of comfort and prosperity. Just like the Sadducees were under the false doctrine of there's no such thing as resurrection and there's no such thing as the miraculous, I believe we're under the false doctrine and teaching of prosperity and comfort and being comfortable. And any teaching that goes inconsistent with that, it makes us want to reject it and even get angry at it. I want you all right now, this is a house full of Christians and believers, you guys are deeply saturated in the scriptures, I'm sure. I want you to find all of the verses in the New Testament right now that tell you that Jesus came to make you comfortable. I want you to find all of the scriptures right now in the New Testament that says Jesus came to make you wealthy. Cash money. Yell them out. Please. What are you gonna say? Um, well one that came from my it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but it says that Jesus came to give us life that we might have more abundantly. Abundantly, that's right. But that doesn't mean. And you know what we've translated that abundance so, into being comfortable and being rich. His abundant life through, comes through following him and carrying a cross. Considering the cost. Being persecuted, being reviled, being rejected. See, it's, a, it's an abundance not based on circumstances. That's a great verse. Thank you for bringing that up. John 10.10. 10. See, there are so many verses that we've distorted to make them fit our North American doctrine and theology, and they're, they're not meaning that. We rejoice when we're rich. They rejoiced when they were whipped. And we think, gosh, there was something wrong with those guys. No, there's something wrong with our theology and our understanding of the Christian life. Rejoicing, true rejoicing. And so finally, I'm going to end here. I don't know what to do with that, by the way. Because that kind of freaks me out. I don't want to suffer. But then they considered themselves so, so they were like, we're worthy to suffer. I'm like, wow, give me that kind of faith. And so finally, I just want to end here. They wouldn't stop sharing about Jesus. Nothing, nothing that happened to them would stop them. And nor should we, by the way. Even when whipped and ordered not to preach or teach in his name, they continued to share the gospel. Family, I, I listen to people today, and, and folks are like, well, you know, there's this, this whole movement with human resources in my, my business that I, I really can't talk about Jesus. And I'm like, is that your supreme authority? Is that truly our supreme authority? Well, it makes people uncomfortable. You're darn right, it makes people uncomfortable. They're dying. People are in sin. And you're bringing truth. And yeah, people aren't going to initially like it. But that's what I love about those signs out front that says, "You are loved." It's like a big giant fishing hook, you know? Oh, we got one. But it can equally read, "You are lost." You are separated. You need a savior. Family, we have to communicate that. Because if we will not communicate that, our community, our culture, our coworkers, our family, our children, they will not know. And they will be lulled into thinking that somehow you can have abundant life apart from Christ. And it's a lie pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. It is heavy and it is true. We thank you, God, for dying for our sins. Jesus, you were willing to pay the ultimate price. You were willing to lay your life down. You went for broke. And I pray today, if you are here and you're listening to this message, I want you to know what Jesus did for you. The Bible records that you were separated from God because of sin. You may not like to hear that. You may want to reject that. You may think to yourself, well, oh, that's just a bunch of hogwash. That's a bunch of religious rhetoric. No, it's the truth. And you may be thinking, it doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. You are drowning. There is only one way to be saved. Jesus Christ came to earth. He taught us. He taught us of his kingdom. He suffered and died so that we could enter into that kingdom. He was buried and he is risen from the dead and he is alive right now and he didn't just ascend into heaven, he is exalted at the right hand of heaven that every single person who cries out on him in belief and says, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, I turn from unbelief, please forgive me, we will receive forgiveness and will receive salvation and will be saved right where you sit, right now, at this moment. Jesus will save you right at this moment. You just call out to him. And I pray, God, that you break through the human heart. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you have risen. Please save my life. The Bible records that if that is your prayer of faith. You've just passed from death to life. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you are forever a son or daughter of god and nothing can take you out of his hand you are so loved you are eternally a child a son or daughter of god welcome to the family and now god break our heart with that truth that we would be the ones the ambassadors for you to carry this message out into the world and may we do it with rejoicing and may we do it with passion may we do it with the conviction that you are the supreme authority, not just of heaven, not just of earth, but of our life. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. All people said, amen. Let's stand together. You all did fantastic this morning. Thank you for your attention. Now it's time. See, that's our message for the week. Now it's time to go out as a church. Go out in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord most. The power of the Holy Spirit. Love Him most. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. To we meet again, same time, same place next week. And family, do not forget, you are loved. Now go tell the world. Go proclaim to the world. Go demonstrate to the world that they are too. Have a wonderful weekend, Jesus.